Welcome to The Daily Objective, a production of the Ayn Rand Center UK, where we apply the ideas of Ayn Rand to current events. And there's no more current event going on in the world right now than the war in Israel. So that's what we'll be talking about today. And with me to help straighten it all out is the great James Valiant. That's why the last name is Valiant. Jim, how is it going today? Uh, fantastic, as usual for me. You know, I, I'm always fabulous. Uh, I hope it's the same with you, sir. I am doing, uh, well, I don't know about fantastic. I'm always sick. See, ever since I moved in with my girlfriend and I'm taking care of a four-year-old, it's like nonstop. It's a nonstop <laughs> cold. It's just, there's no, why even bother trying to fight it at this point? Just go with the flow and, and deal with it. Oh, so the, the, uh, the UN who, you know, they don't have the excuse of being for, they evidently uh, want to invoke some special power to call for a ceasefire in Israel, or rather on, on the Gaza Strip, they want to call a ceasefire. Now, I don't know about you, but when I saw this, my first thought is, okay, then are they going to guarantee Israel's safety? If you're going to say that they can't take the actions necessary to defend themselves, are you going to put a force there and protect them? And I don't think they're going to, but I'm sure we'll dive into it. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, the UN, the UN can only take action if they take action. Send, you know, like you're suggesting, send out U UN uh, personnel to help in a matter or to serve as buffers or to do something in a military sense uh, if the Security Council agrees to go along with it. No action or it depends upon the member states uh, being permitted, giving the permission. What is the UN? Right. There's no enforceable law mechanism uh, really to it. It's, it's a voluntary compliance thing. But even within the rules of the UN. This is the way it works. There's a general assembly which, in which all member states are members and have an equal vote. And the head of the UN, this guy we're talking about, uh, uh, who's invoking what is Article 99 of the UN Charter, uh, uh, the head is, 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 in effect, the voice of the general assembly. He can call something to the attention of the Security Council. Now, the Security Council's got the permanent members who all have a veto power, plus rotating a bunch of other members who are rotating. Currently, the this month, I think Ecuador is the chairman of the Security Council because they have a whole bunch of other members that rotate in and out. But the permanent members, each of them have a veto and can put the kibosh on anything. And without the Security Council's agreement, uh, there's no action that the United Nations can take or even sanction on the part of member states, if that makes sense. The General yeah. Assembly has voted for a ceasefire. Most of the nations of the world, there's about 200 countries in the world, most of them are just awful places. And they hate Israel. And they hate Israel for all the most evil, wrong reasons. And of course, the, the, the General Assembly, in effect, wants Israel to suffer more October 7th until they're dead. And of course, anyone calling for a ceasefire wants more October 7th until everyone's dead. This talk about a ceasefire is not a call for peace. It's a call for death and destruction. When they say ceasefire, it has this glow of, ooh, peaceful, wonderful. No, 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 no. That's Jim, a hold call on. I, I got a question, Jim. I got a question. Yeah. Because I may have to disagree with you, but I want to make sure I, I'm actually disagreeing. <laughs> now, you just said that anybody calling for a ceasefire is calling for, you said, more death and, and destruction. Now, that will be the consequence. I, I, I agree. Yeah. But you're not saying that anybody... You're not saying it's intentional. That They're not anybody... all aware of that. No. Okay. Okay. That's what I wanted to make no, sure. No, no, no. This is why I'm putting it that way. So yeah. that those who are, who some are aware of it. Oh, sure. But, but many, many, and I grant you there are many who are mushy-headed enough not They're to realize. They're just wrong. 
that what they're calling for is more October 7th. I mean, you can have an October 7th, that horrible, that horrific, that inexcusable no matter what your excuse is, and then have the Hamas leader say, oh, we're going to have a October 7th again and again and again. And still someone could say, oh, well, let's have a ceasefire without taking out Hamas's capacity to do October 7th, which is the only meaning for a right of self-defense. If a nation... Now, the United Nations begins with this wonderful principle of territorial integrity, which is nonsense. It's a di dictatorship protection principle. The territorial sovereignty and integrity of all nations, including what? Back then it was the Soviet Union, and soon it would come right. to include Maoist China. So no, 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 no. The territorial integrity of totalitarian dictatorships is not something I think is a moral uh, value. But nonetheless, that principle is being violated right now by the United Nations itself. It recognizes Israel. Hamas does not. Hezbollah does not. Iran does not. They're attacking to destroy Israel utterly, and they're invading territory which has been recognized by the united nations by the united nations even to belong to israel in this attack on civilians so the it, the un is entirely hypocritical it's not even standing up for its ridiculous own principles which are themselves not valid principles but even their own invalid principles they can't stick to they have to violate it every day when it comes to israel now <laughs> the head of this uh corrupt organization we call the United Nations, has invoked a, a rarely uh, a used uh, section of the UN Charter, and it is has only been used a few times, really, um, uh, a couple times back around 1960. I mean, that's really the kind of history lesson you have to invoke to get this. He's invoked his power to call a meeting so you can bring something to the attention of the Security Council. But all that has the legal effect of doing is calling a meeting of the Security Council to discuss a, a permanent ceasefire. Uh, but yeah, anyone calling for a ceasefire is calling for more violence, whether they know it or not, is I guess the way I'd frame it. And that's what we need to bring to their attention. What is going to stop more October 7th if we don't end the capacity of Hamas to do this? And that's what self-defense meaningfully must we must define self-defense as the ability to eliminate the capacity to do further harms like October 7th. If you can't eliminate that capacity, you have no meaningful power of self-defense. Right. Obviously, they wouldn't call for a ceasefire. Uh, this is, happens to be Pearl Harbor Day, right? A day that will live in infamy. That's today. Uh, the United States was attacked by the Empire of Japan on de December 7th, 1941. Suddenly and deliberately. Exactly. And it is true, though, that I mean, whatever you think about FDR, maybe knowing about it or even wanting it or something, uh, forget all that. Nonetheless, no, so. an but in any event, there was an unprovoked attack on America. And that would anyone have said, oh, now we need a ceasefire. Now that Japan has killed a bunch of U.S. servicemen uh, in Honolulu, we, we now have to have an immediate ceasefire. What would that mean? That would mean you're saying, no, the Japanese empire can take over anything in the Pacific it wants, attack anything in the Pacific it wants, and will continue to do so. Right. We invaded Manchuria and invaded most of the islands of the Pacific. And so what you're saying is, green light, go, Japan. Um, and similarly, any call for a ceasefire now, who is similarly, after October 7th, is similarly saying, die, Israel. Um, and whether you know it or not, that's what you're saying. You're not calling for peace. You're calling for perpetual war, the perpetual right. war that has been going on now for decades. Um, it, that's what they're calling for. Yeah. Now, the practical effect is zilch. The uh, U.S. 
will veto anything that even the Security Council might vote to do. Um, and But Israel may need the U.S. once more, as usual, to come in with its veto power to stop this Israel hatred that is the norm from the United Nations. But this all underscores a very important thing. The United Nations is not just a useless organization. I mean, a lot of people have observed how utterly useless it is, but it is worse than useless. It sanctions evil. It protects evil. And we've seen it again and again and again. It's, It's very charter, as I say, protects the territorial integrity of totalitarian dictatorships. So uh, who happen to belong to belong them. Uh, That's obviously immoral on the face of it. But again and again and again, how many times have we seen it? And this is just the most recent example of the truly immoral perspective of the United Nations. It is hostile to civilization. It is hostile to Western interests. It's hostile. And that just comes out in in the most uh, aggressive rash in their hatred of Israel. But it's across the board. It's across the board and their sanctioning of evil. Uh, America should have gotten out of the United Nations yesterday. Uh, or No, 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 no. About a thousand yesterdays ago. No, no. Ten thousand yesterdays ago. There's never been a good thing that has been the upshot since since the recognition of Israel in the late 1940s. I think that is the last time the United Nations ever did anything that decent that might have helped civilization as such. Now, we have a, a super chat for four ninety nine from Enric Teller. He says, as in ignorance of the law is not an excuse, so is ignorance in calling for a ceasefire. Uh, what do you think about that? I, I have to say, I kind of disagree. I, I think because what, what I mean is that I think there's a difference in calling for a ceasefire because you have ill intention in ignorance and calling for, well, I guess it would be ignorance you, if you you're doing up. it intentionally, it wouldn't be ignorance, though. So I guess I'm wrong. Uh, no, no, you know, on one of the realities. But I do think there's a difference, though, between intentionally wanting Israel to be harmed and thinking you're oh, going to have peace. When I'm morally evaluating the individual, I certainly That's what I mean, yeah. And you, you, I love, you know, on the reality show last week, you had a really great example. I, was it last week or the week before? One of the, what are your reality show appearances? My great examples just all meld together. It's hard to keep them <laughs> yeah, There's so many of them. <laughs> there are. You do have several great examples. I, I lost count. So in any event, uh, one of the good ones was uh, take the Quakers or the Shakers. Those are the Amish. Uh, yes. I, you use one of those as an example. Those are famously religious pacifists. They right. take seriously the invocation of Jesus uh, uh, love your enemy. Do not resist the evildoer. Turn the other cheek. Now, Jesus said that. Jesus uh, says, turn the other cheek. You can't block the punch. You can't even run away. If someone hits you, you've got to go, okay, hit me here. I mean, that is, and, and he says, uh, um, submit to the evildoer. Uh, Jesus in the New Testament could not be more clear. If you're a sincere Christian and you believe that, well, if someone attacks me, I would have to suck it up. Literally, there are Christians yeah. who believe that if they're attacked, they cannot fight back in self-defense. If that is your moral principle, you are twisted and wrong about a moral principle. You have a right to life. <laughs> you have a right to defend sure. yourself. Life, Your life is an end in itself, and you have a right to protect it from, for, from forceful violations from someone else coming at you with, with violent intent. Okay. So it's the ethics that they're all screwed up about. But if it's your ethical position 
you just have to suck it up. Israel, you just have to suck it up. At least they're straightforward. And I would appreciate it if the UN General Secretary would come out and say, yeah, uh, you know something, even if it means the death of uh, all 8 million uh, Jews in the Middle East, I think that Israel just has to suck it up and turn the other cheek. He doesn't say that. He says he's advocating peace. Yeah. Okay, he is not being honest. So in the case of the, I'm going to agree with Enric when it comes to the UN General Secretary. I'm going to agree with you when it comes to people who just have this crazy ethics that makes them principally opposed to self-defense. You know, in Sam Harris's book, The End of Faith, he had a he had a line and I'm not going to quote exactly because it's been a long time since I read it, but. He says a a sociopath armed with a pocket knife could take over a country full of pacifists. And I think it's just like this. If if you're going to keep calling a a ceasefire, the enemy attacks ceasefire, you're just going to get blown out of the water. I mean, you have to be able to defend yourself, whether it be an individual, a a country, a group, a a town, whatever. People have to have the right to self-defense. No, I think there are people who are sort of in the middle muddle-headed deluded. They think that if they call for a ceasefire, this compels Israel to come to a reasonable agreement with the Palestinians. And uh, if that's your muddle-headed position on it, you are deeply, deeply confused. uh, Because what you're saying is, yeah, Israel should have to, in effect, worry about October 7th and therefore be reasonable. But look, the, the PLO... Uh, refused peace. Uh, every Palestinian organization, uh, it, there hasn't been a Palestinian organization that has any oomph that it would recognize Israel's right to exist. As I've said before, as I said yesterday or the day before with Mark Pellegrino, it's a condition for any kind of negotiation at all that you recognize my right to exist at all in some form. There's no way I can even negotiate with you. But so They don't realize that, uh, let's put it this way, the, that asymmetry they figure that at some point, of course, the Palestinians will just, you know, there's a bunch of Palestinians who just want peace. And if you're that mushy headed, if you're that mushy headed to think that most Palestinians in the region don't want the destruction of Israel in some, because of some violent, mystical, savage uh, racism, which really does seem to motivate most of them, then you're just not being realistic about, you know, reality. Let's talk about pacifism the other way. You know, pacifism got a great name because of uh, people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King in the 20th century. They did accomplish things through nonviolent resistance, but they could only do that because Gandhi was playing to the British and world press. If it had been Hitler, Hitler would have sent the Mahatma to the gas chambers pretty right. quick on, and right. it would have been all over. So I agree. I absolutely agree with Sam Harris on this point. A bunch of pacifists are just asking for destruction yeah it's the formula for uh, uh, uh look if you read my book creating christ you know why jesus said that or why jesus was said to have said that there is a definite political motive behind, and theme uh, that is consistent in the new testament and it really is jewish people suck it up and it was jewish people suck it up two thousand years ago and it's jewish people suck it up now turn the other cheek. Now, you may think that Jesus's morality is some otherworldly idealism, but here on this planet, Sam Harris is right. Pacifism means you're sanctioning yeah. and permitting evil to Jim, run over. You made, a, you made a, a great point that w- when Martin Luther King is having his nonviolent protest, his pacifism, he's playing to the hypocrisy of the United States. 
he knows the United States ideals and that the United States is not living up to those ideals. It's a vastly different thing when you're dealing with somebody who doesn't have ideals or whose ideals are, are downright evil. And it's the same thing when Gandhi's dealing with the British, he's dealing with a, a country or an empire that has a history of individual rights, freedom, a free know, press, a, a free parliament. press. Yeah, tolerance, right. all and that by stuff. the 19th century, Christ, Christians in the English-speaking world had a much more benevolent view than any previous Christians in the history of Christianity. Yeah. And Martin Luther King was a, himself a religious man. Gandhi was himself a religious man. They could invoke Jesus to a Christian community, to a democratic Christian community that had a free press. So if, right. I'll say if it was an authoritarian country, uh, men like Gandhi and Martin Luther King would have... Eh, Faced uh, extermination pretty quickly right. on. It seems to me it wouldn't have worked, except if you have the British or the American populace you're playing to, which is yes. exactly what those guys were playing to. Yeah, uh, we have another super chat from Bonnie Bertrand for ninety nine cents. Jim, I want to ask you uh, about this Security Council because I wasn't positive who was in it, so I, I googled it here, and the and yeah. the permanent members are China, France, the Russian Federation, the United Kingdom, and the United States. What jumps out at me is that these are the guys that were on the winning side in World War II, uh -huh. right when the right when the United Nations is established. So, I mean, are we really going to continue to grant this kind of power based on a military victory that was achieved seventy five years ago in a completely different world? Absolutely crazy. It was developed. The Security Council itself is a relic of the post-World War II effect. What, you know, World War I was supposed to be the war that ended all wars. And, and, and well, okay, so I guess we're not finished. World War II, we'll try League of Nations 2.0, which is United Nations. <laughs> and, well, it's been just as, you know, it's really, the League of Nations was so effective at preventing the Holocaust in World War II. Yeah. You know, it prevented another world war. It prevented more war wars. Uh, so, no, the League like of the, Nations... Like the Federal Reserve pre prevented Federal recessions. Reserve right? And other yeah. successful organizations. Right. <laughs> with a great there's a, they, there's a book for you, the UN and other successful organizations. Other successful organizations. Bad idea from the beginning. And it's in, in how many decades... It's like the Federal Reserve. How many decades do you have to have of demonstration? How many inflation? how many depressions how many what do you want until you realize no this doesn't work you can't fine-tune the economy similarly uh the united nations this whole thing doesn't work precisely because it includes china and russia it must per de facto be a morally corrupt organization no good can possibly come there's no common value there's no common positive principle that we share with russia and china it can only harm western interests to be involved in such an organ with such an organization that gives not only uh, 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 I even membership of such organizations would be a disqualifier can you imagine giving those nations veto power over anything yeah. that they can do I mean, that's insane. And that is just a relic, a historical relic uh, of the past. Now, we say the, the, those are the big powers of the nation. You know, they're the big nuclear powers. Well, why isn't India there? Why isn't? And then if the configuration changes, shouldn't the Security Council? Like, right. Well, of course it should. It's a dinosaur anyway. 
Uh, but the point is, it's also a destructive dinosaur. For a long time, when I was younger, I would think, oh, it's totally ineffective, meaningless dinosaur. No, it's an evil dinosaur. It gives this, people talk international law as if it has some moral weight, and then they'll cite the United Nations. And when people say, well, the United Nations is a source of international law, as if it has some more moral sanction, some moral moral glow about it, you know? <laughs> no, it has an immoral stink about it. And we should start trying to start looking at the United Nations rather than even in a neutral stance, uh, in a negative stance. They're a dictatorship protection outfit. Their rules are designed to protect dictatorships like China and Russia. And they have done nothing but attack Israel for, for the last 50, 60 years uh, in their uh, attitudes. Uh, so yeah, they're enemies of civilization. They're enemies of freedom. They protect dictators. Uh, they can only harm our interests. Uh, currently, Iran is on the Human Rights Council. Don't you know? That's you what know? I, I was just looking for that. I wanted to know who is on right now on the Human yeah, Rights Council. A woman, a woman can disappear in, in an Iranian prison for a not dress for violating the dress code and die in prison within a matter of weeks. And the world doesn't seem to care when that, those sort of things happen. No, 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 no. This evil nation of Iran, which executes gays, which executes, which keeps women in that kind of a, okay. That's what we're talking about here. A theocratic dictatorship. Uh, They're on the human rights council. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're selling money to China and support, and they were the funders of October 7th. And they're on the Human Rights Council, Michael. What what would be the process, Jim, do you know of getting out of the United Nations? Like if the United States, if, if we started a movement, for instance, who would we have to move? <laughs> International law is a wonderfully delightful thing. You know, did you know what the rules, you know, ancient Rome, in the ancient Roman Republic and the ancient Roman Empire, to get a divorce was really easy. You didn't have to go to court. You didn't have to get lawyers. You just send someone to your spouse and say, we're divorced. If you're an aristocrat, you'd send your freedman to the to your spouse and say, and it worked both ways, male or female. We're divorced. Over. International laws and treaties are just like Roman marriage. <laughs> <laughs> a declaration by any party that we're no longer going to be part of this treaty is enough. We're gone. We're out of here. Goodbye. Hasta la vista, baby. And all we would have to do is say, we no longer, we're out of this. Uh, and the UN has supported a, a bunch of resolutions and treaties that are components with it. But if I were president of the United States, uh, day one, I would just say, we're out of this one. We're out of this agreement. We're out of that agreement. We're out of this agreement. We're out of that agreement. Oh, by the way, uh, y'all better leave uh, your uh, lovely facility on the East River in Manhattan because uh, you're no longer welcome in New York City. Bye-bye. Uh, and the President of the United States has independent authority to do all of that. It could Once happen, we, like it, I say, yesterday. If we get the UN out of that building in New York City, can we set up the JVI? <laughs> the JVI? Valiant Institute. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it would it would be it would have very strict conditions for member membership for nations. <laughs> they would have to be this side of rights respecting. I mean, they don't have to be perfect Jeffersonian. Well, gosh, we're not a perfect Jeffersonian no. democracy. 
but, but they wouldn't have to be that, but they would at least have to recognize individual rights. They would have to have some kind of free speech, civil liberties recognized on the part of their people. They would have to have some constraints on the government. They would have to have like an independent judiciary or something, some mechanism whereby individual rights could be enforced. If they're not this side of civilized, if, if it's not, say, the, and what a vivid, wonderful uh, laboratory experiment we're given with Israel there versus the other Middle Eastern nations. <laughs> it's true there's a Jewish population in Saudi Arabia and Iran, and they basically are ghettoized. And they fled as much as they can to the extent there are Christians and Jews still in those places. They're completely ghettoized. They have to hide out. They have no freedom of speech. Consider the difference between life, what it's like for for uh, Christians and Muslims in Israel, for example. And, they, and the difference between Israel, say, and what go, what's been going on in the in the uh, uh, Gaza Strip since Hamas has controlled the place is really vivid. We don't hang gays by chains <laughs> here in Israel, uh, nor do we use rape as an instrument of war. We don't rape people to death, women and children to death as an instrument of war. And how long did it take the United Nations? To finally get around, their women, their whole group designed to protect women, got to protect women's group here in the UN. It took them almost two months before they even took up the issue. After what happened to women and girls on October 7th, it took them 50 some days before they even took up the issue. Despicable. The United Nations can do nothing good for civilization. They are hostile to freedom and civilization. They are a dictatorship protect, protection racket. The, uh, the deep, the DPR, the dictator, the DPR, DPR, DPR. The Food and Drug Administration, the Federal Death Administration. <laughs> oh, they could be on other successful agencies. <laughs> the oh, yeah. Add to the list of other successful groups. <laughs> uh, all right, Jim, we're just about out of time. What do you got in closing? Give us something good before I read about the the. Uh, upcoming shows and whatnot. Well, I think it is good that this is happening in one way because sane, rational, civilized, good, decent people in the world can see how monstrous the United Nations General Assembly and their leader is and that this entire organization sanctions evil routinely that it really, and then it'll show how nothing will come of it because it'll require a U.S. veto. But the U.S. veto will show, see, many, many people, many people, um, a lot of Jewish Americans lean left I think that this entire experience is a wake-up moment for a lot of people, and not just Jewish people. Uh, I think that uh, people around the world who have, or this side of sane and decent, are seeing how monstrous the United Nations is, and I hope that's the lesson we take from it. Phenomenal. Thank you very much, Jim, uh, for upcoming shows. At 6 p.m. UK time, we have the reality show. It's Ben and Jerry's now serving Hamas. Well, now that's an interesting title. Yeah. You know, I just had Ben and Jerry's for the first time ever a couple months ago at the Big E. Never tried it before. First time ever. Well, I, I, I can't. I can't get behind him serving Hamas, but the ice cream was good. I'll give him that. I'm told right. good. <laughs> well, everybody, thank you, everybody, for tuning in and enjoy the reality show, and they'll see you tomorrow right here on the Daily Objective.